Today we will cover stage five. As I mentioned yes, uh, last time, many of us will experience stage five only uh, when we do retreat. But still, it's uh, possible to have at least uh, short periods or periods of your daily meditation practice where you slide into stage five. It's not like that you will be able to reach stage five uh, consistently, but uh, you might recognize it in, in your own practice as it is now. It's a common experience that even if we have reached four or stage four or five, that in periods of our life where we are very challenged, that we might we might not be able to uh, to reach that stage which we have been able to reach before. On the other hand, it's a common experience also once you have attained some stability at one point that your system can reach it more quickly later when your life maybe becomes more balanced again and your environment and your emotional state becomes uh, calms down so there seems to be a kind of memory of your of your system like you know when you have trained a lot and uh, then you stop training for a year then and then you start training again then you will notice that your body kind of remembers where it was before and and you get to that stage in a quicker time so similar if you have done retreat uh, let's say you have done retreat for a longer time and you reach some stability and you then go home and your life is quite uh, turbulent, so it's not supporting uh, stability in your meditation practice, then it seems that you have lost it, but you will discover that you can gain more stability more easy than it used to be. So the kind of the theme in um, in stage five is to work with uh, subtle destructions. So in the other stages so far we have worked with cross destructions. So that means destructions which are able to replace the primary object. So a destruction which competes with your attention and it actually managed to do that. So you actually stop to do what you intended to do being engaged with the breath. So that is a cross-destruction. So by stage five, this is not happening anymore. But there is still some, some a bit of alternating between uh, the primary object and that which is happening in peripheral awareness. So within uh, stage five, we learn to stabilize our mind even more with the primary object. One of the possible challenges in stage five is 
because your body, your mind, becomes very calm, so the sensations of the breath become more and more subtle. Until stage four, that's really good, because when the sensations of your breath becomes more subtle, you need to kind of a bit energize the mind again, so it becomes a, an antidote towards dullness. Because in order to notice the very subtle sensations of a calm and quiet breath, you need to kind of get yourself a bit more together energetically. But now, with stage five, it might happen that the breath becomes so subtle, it's almost like it ceases. There, there might be actually the experience of I'm not breathing anymore. Yeah. So that's why it might be necessary at from stage four, uh, from stage five on, uh, to shift uh, the the meditation object. And I will you I will share with you two possibilities here. And I I wrote them down. One is the settling the mind in its natural state, and the other one is what is called meditating on an inner sign. So I will do it like last time. Uh, I will talk uh, in the first part of the evening, and then there will be time for questions. But you can also interrupt me in between if you have a question connected with what I just said. But before that, we will uh, train a bit the entry protocol again with settling down. Some mentor bonding process, some aligning your t intention with bodhicitta, <coughs> so that uh, that you that you create some space for the evening and you let the busyness of the day behind and also as an opportunity for you if there's something in my instructions which you find helpful so that you can integrate them into your entry protocol. So if you like you can close your eyes for this. You adjust your posture so that you sit relaxed, but also not too sloppy. And then you notice what happens. There's a sense of dropping into the body. Maybe it's possible to relax a bit the sense of a central position somewhere in the head. Become aware of your posture and the way the chair or the floor carries you. 
even down into your feet. like you can use the breath and slide with the in-breath into the body Notice what you bring with you. How do you feel? Get to know your own energy. Notice some tension, some restlessness, some discomfort. You embrace, you accept. This is how I feel, this is what is happening, it's okay. Thoughts continue to arise, but they slide into peripheral awareness. And the felt sense of your body comes to the foreground. your belly possible with the out breath you soften a little solar plexus
Also notice the energy in your hands. And when thoughts or mental images come to the foreground, your attention is captured, you relax and drop back, letting them fade into peripheral awareness. Turning, resting, particularly if you start to notice that you try to attain something or you try to get rid of something, then you, with the out-breath, relax, give space. Exploring what your experience is without words, without a overlay of mental images. So notice what your level of dullness is.
And then we invite the presence of our mentor or a few of them. And here it's not so important to have a clear mental image, but more emphasis on the actual presence, the loving presence, the mighty stillness, the smile and the compassionate gaze, the voice. Let yourself be touched by the warmth of your mentor. When your mind drifts away, then you come back to the breath. Then your mental dissolves into light and this light enters your body at the heart level. sense of the Buddha inside, of the mentor inside, the inner mentor, residing at the center of your heart. Illuminating your chest and then your whole body.
radiating out through the pores of your body. The source of light or the source of love. At the core of your being. You could also imagine a small Buddha or a small Dalai Lama in your heart. Then inspired by the Dalai Lama and the Kamapa, we align ourselves with our yearning to grow up and to wake up, to break to the delusion of a separate self. for the benefit of all. An aspiration and an intention to express your full potential. So I talked uh, before about the importance of a fascination with the meditation object, uh, like a passion, a, a real curiosity. And now in stage five that becomes even more important, because in stage five we start to 
really get disinterested in what is happening in peripheral awareness. So kind of you need to have, you need to be in a place in your life where you feel nothing else is important. I'm not interested in other projects. I mean, outside of your meditation practice, of course you're interested in, in other projects, but for your meditation practice. So that means if uh, wonderful ideas come or problems come who compete for your attention, that it is as if you throw a stick towards a lion, they say. So what happens if you throw a stick towards a lion? He's just staring at you. He's not interested. But if you throw a stick to a, to a dog, he is like... <laughs> <laughs> he runs after it. And the untrained mind is like that dog. A stick is being thrown, and this can be a wonderful, beautiful stick, like a fantasy about yesterday or about tomorrow, or it can be a stressful, sticky story. And the untrained mind is, wow! Yeah. So there is a there is a need of a of a of a of a trust and an understanding that no other project will bring you to the end of seeking or will bring you to fulfillment to contentment than this nothing else it will not bring you to contentment and fulfillment if you solve your problems it will not bring you to contentment and fulfillment if things are going really well. This is strange to, to come to that place. It's also called renunciation. So all other projects are not important because they are useless in a way. It will be just one damn problem after another. It will be just one damn stupid nice experience after another. And none of them will bring you home. None of them make you, will make you whole. Not, none of them will make you genuinely happy. Yes, some of them will give you some temporary short-lived happiness, hedonistic happiness, which is good. But here, in your meditation practice, you need to be li like a lion. And people can throw sticks at you, and you say, just say, say pff, pff. <laughs> I'm not interested in that. And of course, your mind, you know, the other unconscious processes, they are busy. They will try to come up with important things. They will try to come up with wonderful things. They will try to throw sticks at you. 
So at this at stage five, you have actually reached that state where you're not going to run totally like you will not completely lose the meditation object anymore at stage five. But there is still too much interest in what's happening in peripheral awareness. Maybe a wonderful idea is sneaking up. Maybe, yeah, maybe there's some doubt. Maybe I should contemplate this problem now. Or maybe I should do something about this unpleasant feeling in my stomach. Maybe I should fix that. So this, this kinds of this kind of fascin, fascination and a really strong intention. I I talked about that a few times. The importance of having a strong intention. So this is just a reminder. So the intention here is: I understand what I'm doing. Uh, the scope of my attention is this, whatever it is, and I'm going for it. And of course, it helps if you are, yeah, it's like a fascination. You really like, you really want to explore it. The breath, for example, if that is, uh, you, you really want to, you value the breath and, and, you, and you, uh, you, you become, you fall in, you fall in love with the meditation object. So that also means you need to be a bit creative what your meditation object is. It, it has to fit you. It has, to be, it has to be fascinating for you. And then how can you make it even more fascinating? And one of the methods uh, to make it more fascinating is what is called the whole body breathing. And after the break, I will guide you into that practice. Last time I, uh, I shared with you uh, uh, a similar practice. Uh, so this practice is building on it. And uh, so for this practice, one thing you train is to intentionally uh, play with the scope of your attention. I have not talked about that so much. So what does that mean? You can set the intention to have a certain scope of what you put as a primary object. For example, the scope of your attention could be the uh, the, the 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 ring finger. So that's what you kind of you focus on on that. And then we will play with that. Then we will broaden it into the hand. Then we will go back to the finger again. Then we will go back into the whole arm. Then we will include the other arm. So you will play with that. And what we are looking for is sensations in your body which are connected with the breath. So initially that sounds strange because 
we have a sense, yeah, I can feel my breath, breath somewhere here. That's what is moving when I'm breathing. But here the breath, the breath has this cross, gross level, but the breath also has a subtle level, which is connected, what is in the Tibetan language is called lung. It's also called chi or prana. So there is that movement in your body connected with the breath. And it is uh, something you can experience. It's maybe not so obvious in the beginning, but you, you, can, you can experience it. And actually, it does not matter if you experience it or not. The idea in this instruction is to make you curious, to look. Yeah? It's, not, it's not important if you actually feel it, but it, you, you kind of give yourself a challenge. We had that before in, 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 in the third stage, like putting, off, putting up some challenges so that our mind gets a bit energized and gets, yeah, okay, since where is the, can I feel the prana in my feet? So is there some movement connected with the breath? So in, in that curiosity, that childlike curiosity, that's what you want to ignite. And then uh, this thing with um, uh, playing with the scope of your, of your attention. Make it smaller, making it bigger. And the goal in this practice is to become aware of the whole body and not just the whole, not, not the body, so the scope is, is narrow. You become aware of the sensation connected with the breath in the whole body. So a short instruction is that, maybe you have heard it, sometimes I also say it, the whole body is breathing. And it, and it becomes an experience. And it's, uh, it's below the mental images. So you don't have like a mental image of your hand. And then that's the main object. So you need to go below the mental images. So what, what we are going into here is the direct experience, the naked, bare experience. What is, what is there without words, without mental images? And that's the meditation object. So we will do that after the break. I mentioned already, there's a challenge here. And that is, the, the object, the meditation object, might become so subtle that it dissolves. Actually, every meditation object at one point dissolves because it's non-static, changing. So, in a way, in a way, in order to practice shamatha, you need to make things a bit more stable than they actually are, so that they, you have a kind of continuous meditation object. Because everything in this universe which you scrutinize, you get closer and closer, it starts to disappear because it does not exist. 
does not exist. So let's say, you know, atoms, quarks, and so on and so on. So you, you, you go deeper and deeper into the structure of your experience and you find less and less. So what are you going to meditate on when you find less and less? But the stomach cannot disappear. Yes, the experience of your stomach can disappear. Uh, because uh, it, it, when you say the, the stomach, what you're talking about is a mental image of the stomach, an idea of the stomach. But if you look and look and look, then you will find less and less. The, the, the meditation object will become more and more insubstantial, which can be a bit of a scary process. So in stage five, you can have this, you know, this uh, this kind of angst coming up. Yeah, I'm losing everything. I'm losing myself. I, there's nothing to hold on to. Which is true. There's nothing to hold on to. This not this does not exist in the way it appears to us. It's almost nothing. Even if we still believe in atoms, then it's 99% nothing. No, 99.999 nothing. Yeah. And uh, on the level of stage five, you start to have an experience of that. So impermanence or the non-static nature of, of your experience is not just an idea anymore. You experience it yourself. So it's common that people have this kind of... <gasps> Ooh, yeah, or they get a bit afraid, or it's like unsettling. This is also often then the moment where people experience some energy movements and uh, you know movements of the body, you know, like strange things happening. So it could be that uh, that that this is part of your experience, this, what is called dissolution. When that happens, of course, you have shifted a bit into vipassana practice, into insight practice. But it becomes here, from the fifth stage, it becomes a bit more difficult to actually take the shamatha and vipassana practice as two different things, that they start to merge. You know, in Tibetan, shamatha is called china and uh, vipassana is called laktong. So in in the in the fifth stage, the shina and and laktong practice they they start to unify, which is of course what we want, because we are not practicing shamatha to calm down. Yeah, we're practicing shamatha to sharpen our mind so that we can look deeply into the structure of reality and into the structure of ourselves not finding anything. And this not finding anything, that's liberation. Yeah. So, there's, uh, there's this option with the whole body breathing. So, that's to play, to be fascinated around it. Then, uh, this is what... Uh, Alan Wallace does uh, in his book, The Attention Revolution. So he actually says, it's not, you can't, you can't continue to use the breath as the object from the fifth stage on. That's what he says. Uh, 
because uh, it starts to dissolve. You start, it's, there is nothing there anymore. So he is with the stage five, he introduces a practice called settling the mind in its natural state. And settling the mind in its natural state is also a preliminary practice to what we actually want to do, and that is in the Mahmudra and Soxen tradition to meditate on the nature of mind. When in the Tibetan tradition, when they talk about vipassana, vipassana, they always talk only about meditating on the emptiness of consciousness, meditating on the emptiness of mind, meditating on Buddha nature. So that's what we, that's that's our goal. And settling the mind in its natural state is a preliminary practice for that. And of course, Alan Wallace is guiding his students into the Dzogchen practice. So it's obvious that he um, is using this practice, settling the mind in its natural state, as, uh, as, the, as the practice here to shift from the breath into the practice of settling the mind in its natural state. You could also call it open choiceless awareness, which is a bit um, debatable, that term, so Alan Wallace wouldn't use it. So, but I explained the practice. So, so what is the object in, in the practice of settling, settling the mind in its natural state? It's two things. It's everything what is happening plus the space when, within which it is happening. So settling the mind in its natural state is something like you sit on a mountaintop, you open your gaze, you allow everything to be just as it is. So birds are flying, stuff is happening, in peripheral awareness, in, in the center of your awareness. But at the same time, you're also aware of this immense space. Not only the sky, but also the, the space between you and the bird, and around the bird. So that's the object. The space and the content. And you... The, the work here is to relax all grasping. So neither you grasp to the beautiful bird, nor do you reject the thunderclouds. Everything is just open, choiceless, panoramic awareness. Uh, This is a beautiful practice. And for, for many people who kind of struggle a while with keeping the attention, you know, because uh, these kind of practices, they need energy, so they are sometimes exhausting. So when you get then the permission in your practice to just do nothing, basically, I mean, that's what it is. You, you do nothing. You're just sitting there by the beach, by the, by, by the uh, 
by the on the mountaintop and you just you're just aware and you are already aware it's not that you need to oh now i need to be aware no you, you are already aware it's effortless and if you feel wonderful or crappy that doesn't matter if the mind is distracted or there's dullness it doesn't matter it, it, it's it's um it's it, it's all happening in that space and you are aware of the space and of what is happening without picking and choosing obviously the challenge in this practice is and that's why uh Alan Wallace is not teaching it from the first stage you could also start with this from the first stage which some people do yeah uh obviously the danger is that it becomes just spaced out spaced out distracted you get hooked yeah because uh if this you if you st uh, start with this as a beginner you have not cultivated enough introspective awareness you you you, you will not be aware when you get carried away and entangled it is just happening but now in the fourth stage you have strengthened your introspective awareness what is called meta cognitive introspective awareness so you have trained that so you are aware of what is happening and you you would be aware there would be kind of a, a aha when you get entangled or when you're when you fall into thinking and then you can correct that so it's uh, it's worth to try it out and to check yeah some people are quite uh, natural with this practice and then you can also alternate of course so you can maybe start with a bit more focused meditation and then you relax into open choiceless awareness Usually when I guide meditation I always go into that direction. With closed eyes. Yeah, that's another thing. So it is recommended here to start to sit with open eyes. Yeah? Uh so because um the the space, you know, the space between things becomes a support. and having open eyes keeps the mind a bit brighter so it's not so uh, uh, it's not so easy to kind of fall into uh, drowsiness and also meditating with open eyes helps you to start to deconstruct this idea of inside and outside so it becomes in that sense it becomes also a vipassana practice so your the sense of your border the sense of separateness starts to dissolve mm. where is inside outside where is this happening isn't it is happening inside in my consciousness mm. what's the difference between my thoughts and you sitting here both are in my mind yeah so this kind of you don't introduce these questions consciously but they just arise because you know you you start to wonder you know what's the difference between a dream and this and, and things like that so you sit with open eyes the gaze is uh unfocused yeah so you you don't 
so you don't uh, focus particular on something. So the whole visual field becomes the meditation object, including the space. Yeah? That's the meditation object. And then, of course, what is happening in the so-called inner world. Yeah? But then naturally that artificial boundary which we create through the conceptual mind starts to deconstruct. So how you make this a meditation on the nature of mind, how you make this a meditation on the emptiness of mind is that you need to bring your understanding, and there you need to do some studies, your understanding of emptiness. So the way I describe the practice now, this practice of settling the mind in its natural state, it's still within the realm of conventional reality. So there we need to uh, have a kind of fundamental uh, understanding of the Prasankhika Madhyamika view, which is a certain view on emptiness within a certain school within Tibetan Buddhism, which is seen as the not from everyone, but from many lamas, uh, seen as the most profound view. <clears throat> so next year, when we will look into vipassana practice, we have to um, we have to look into this, and then we have to learn how to make uh, a meditation on the conventional level of the mind into a meditation on the ultimate nature of mind. So the third uh, option here, or direction, uh, this is how in the, in, in the Theravada tradition this is taught, because they have the same. For stage, the, mind, this, the breath is so subtle, or it even ceases. I mean, they even say it ceases. So your breath can actually cease. I don't know if it's just so subtle, subtle that nobody notices it, yeah? <laughs> but but uh, they actually say that, that your breath stops. Yeah? Um, certainly you can have the experience. I have had that happening uh, myself, but also in retreats. You know, people were freaking out <laughs> in their meditations because they felt, I'm dying, I'm not breathing anymore. <laughs> I mean, some people can hold their breath for eight minutes or something. I think that's the the world record. So, it's uh, you know, if you have no breathing happening for a few minutes, it's possible that you freak out. So, so what they do, and I don't have, I I have not explored this practice a lot. So they call it uh, you shift from the sensations of the breath which dissolve because you become closer to reality. Yeah? Uh, you shift to what is called uh, an inner sign of the breath. An inner sign of the breath. So the inner sign of the breath is individual. It's not, uh, it's not the same for everyone. So it is a kind of 
symbolic representation of the breath, a kind of vision which arises. And this vision is a mental image, yeah? And it is it can be a flame, it can be a square, it can be a circle, it can be a, an angel. So obviously with on with stage five you are more prone to have this kind of experience of visions. Yeah? Because uh, you 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 kind of you you lose you don't lose touch with reality you realize that reality does not exist as it appears so there's more space for st stuff happening so people have kind of religious experiences on this stage yeah? and what they do in the theravada tradition they shift what they take that inner sign, the symbolic representation of the breath, which is individual, so nobody can... It's not... You don't make it up. It's not a visualization. It's not that you decide, yeah, now my image is a diamond, because I want to have a diamond as, <laughs> as, as the object for my breath. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not like that. It can be, it can be silly, yeah? It can be quite disappointing, your, your, uh, your inner sign of the breath. So it is a mental image which comes up by itself uh, as a representation of the breath, and that's what you make your object. That's what you focus on. Which is convenient because mental objects are permanent. Yeah? Mental objects are permanent. They, 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 they stay. I mean, they also fade away, but they, they are not, they don't, they are not, they don't have the momentary, transitory nature of everything else. Yeah, they are kind of, yeah. Like if you think about your husband, his face, it's pretty stable. Yeah, it's not how he looks. But uh, you, know, you, you tell yourself that it's pretty stable. Yeah? So mental images are stable, at least for a certain periods of time. So they, they are actually a good object. In the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, uh, they use a mental image as an object quite often, right from the beginning. You know, what is called visualization or imagination. So they, there it's not an inner sign, it is something you make up. I, I guess some of you have done this kind of practices, deity yoga. Shenrezig, yeah? Vipassana, so a lot of you were in these groups. So there we actually use the mental image as the primary meditation object. And in the Tibetan tradition you would go, you wouldn't use the breath to go through the stages, but in a mental image. The reason for that is, first, because it's permanent, the mental image, and because we are using a, an inspirational mental image, you have the benefit of a kind of inspiration, uplifting, uh, warmth, love. Yeah? So you bring these qualities into your meditation as a side effect. 
which is good because the breath is sometimes a bit you know barren and you know it's not you know it it's not necessary touches your heart or something like that but if you are in love with the lama then you you can lift up yeah you can uh increase the vitality your vitality through the, through this practice the thing is and ellen wallace also says that because these visualizations they are made up so it costs quite a lot of energy to make it up so those of you who have done shenrezig practice or vajrasattva practice for like about an hour or something you need to do you you start to notice wow this actually costs a lot of energy yeah and it's pretty exhausting i mean if you do a vajrasattva retreat like where you like meditate eight hours a day on vajrasattva and you finished in the evening I, you 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 only were sitting the whole day you didn't do anything yeah you were just sitting but you're really exhausted because it it costs energy and uh, since we are all bit depleted in our vitality and and in our conscious energy it might not be the best practice for us at least if we uh do a kind of longer sessions yeah of course if you do your 20 minutes <laughs> praying to buddha practice and uh mental bonding process with the dalai lama or something that's fine but uh it could be that you find out oh, no this is pretty exhausting yeah so ellen wallace also is not recommending that as a as a practice with the inner sign it's different because it's not something you make up it's you know it's something which appears and you just see it in the same effortless way you see now yeah yes But how did this the inner sign appear manifest i really really didn't get that uh, so, so when when you, when, you, when do i know that it, it's it's an inner sign <laughs> uh, so you the the sensations of the breath become more and more subtle yeah. so so you kind of you lose the con, con, you don't lose the contact with your body but it, subjectively your body disappears mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. probably most of us have short moments like this in our meditation practice where it's just like the body is gone yeah uh so and then in that moment there's an image which appears okay. by itself yeah. and it can be mickey mouse yeah yeah okay. it's, a, it's, a, it's a spontaneous <laughs> process yeah, it's a spontaneous process okay. yeah and and then uh since i i mean i i i know this experience of symbols appearing and uh i don't i don't know if you then if you if it's the same every time or this i don't know mm-hmm. it could be uh i have a sense that uh, at one point uh that's what i at least read it's like a, it appe- reappears yeah. so you get to know it so whenever you come to the this uh, stage five in your meditation and the breath becomes too subtle to uh, to stay the primary object uh, a similar symbol arises 
and then you know this is this is the sign. It sounds very similar that when like when you're doing a, a drum meditation in, in the, sh the shaman tradition. Yeah. When you meet your your, your uh, mm -hmm. uh, power animal. For yes. The other side. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's, it's, so you just have to accept it. Yes, you have to accept it. Yeah. It's not you can't say. Yeah, I don't want the rabbit. I want the wolf. So that's the same. And of course, this uh, this is being used in shamanistic traditions. Yeah. And you know, in some traditions, you would um, dwell in this stage. I mean, forever, or like for a long time, because this. It's very emphasized in some tradition, this kind of inner signs, this kind of inner visions. Yeah. Yeah. Here it is, uh, here it is, uh, so if there is a wolf, you, you are not like, uh, I don't know uh, um, what you would do. Probably the wolf would guide you then somewhere or something like that yeah? in, on the shamanistic journey. But here it would be the meditation object. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you're not. You're not doing other stuff with it. Yeah, the, the shamanistic journeys are very active. Yes. You're yeah. running around. Yes, and you want to have messages, and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the level we are here working with. Yeah. Also, in a shamanistic journey, if it's deep, you lose complete contact with, the, with, uh, with your body. Mm. Yeah. You are completely in, in the inner, inner outer consciousness mm. level. But uh, when the body is gone, it appears, you said. But while I'm meditating, I'm, I'm touching my body. How can I? I have, you know, the, the warmth in the hands and I have the connection. Yeah. And uh, I mean, this feeling cannot disappear. Absolutely. You never had that experience. No. So I can't imagine that I can have it. Uh -huh. I, have, I don't but, think so. Yeah, but what is? Uh, do you know the hypnagogic state just before when you fall asleep, and you kind of the first dream images start to appear? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you feel your feet then? <laughs> of course, if you want, then you can probably. It depends. Uh, you can kind of wake yourself up and, and yeah. get back. Uh, okay. So that's uh, a um, very common experience. And in your dreams, uh, in your sleep, you're completely gone. The body does not exist in your subjective experience. We might wonder if it still exists somewhere real, yeah? So it's a good discussion. <laughs> okay. Yes? So the losing uh, touch with the body, um, is it the same process as when you were aware of sliding to sleep? So how that sitting? Yeah, I think it's similar, yes. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Hands become bigger. And yeah, yes. Mm -hmm. This kind of experience happened, yeah. So I mentioned like movements, but uh, there's also uh, uh, you become very tall or very small, or you have a feeling of falling, or 
you have a feeling of sitting like this, or uh, and sometimes you actually sit like this. <laughs> so, those sensations are a sign. Uh, yeah, they, they are they are part of they are kind of side effects of yeah. this uh, this uh, this moment of dissolution. Mm -hmm.